Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report, and I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. After a big spike, COVID cases are now falling in California. KQED health reporter Leslie McClurg reports. In the past week, more than 65,000 people tested positive in California, which is a lot. But that's almost half as many as two weeks ago. And hospitalizations have decreased by about 5%. The other thing is the hospitalized patients were not as sick. They didn't require as much oxygen. Dr. Warner Green is a virologist at the Gladstone Institute in San Francisco. He says Omicron cases were not as severe as previous waves. The ICUs were not as full, not not as many people required intubation. He says the main issue hospitals continue to deal with is staffing shortages. But the situation is improving. Epidemiologists predict case tallies will likely hit pre-surge levels by mid to late February. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg. And Governor Newsom says he's also encouraged by the improving COVID numbers in the state. During a news conference yesterday, Newsom said state health officials are now working on a new plan of action. In the next couple weeks, we will be releasing that endemic plan. How we live with the virus, how we address and live with the surges, what we've learned, what protocols we encourage to be in place, and how we believe we'll process things moving forward. Now, the governor didn't elaborate on details of that plan, so it's unclear what restrictions might be lifted once it's implemented. In other COVID news, starting today, people who are vaccinated and boosted can take off their masks in certain indoor spaces in San Francisco. KQED's Alex Hall reports. The new rule says anyone who's fully vaccinated can go maskless in places like gyms, offices, college classes, and religious services. Those are places where consistent groups get together, and it's easier to know everyone is vaccinated. San Francisco health officer Dr. Susan Phillip says that while the Omicron surge isn't over, the county's models do not project a significant increase in serious illness. We're moving from the emergency stage of the pandemic into really trying to see what it looks like to to live with COVID. People who are unvaccinated but have a religious or medical exemption will also be able to gather indoors if they can show proof of a negative test and wear a mask. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall. 
But while San Francisco is relaxing its mask rules, L.A. County's mask mandate remains in place. KPCC's Jackie Fortier has more. Everyone over the age of two must wear a mask indoors, regardless of vaccination status. The mandate will only be lifted if cases, hospitalizations, and transmission hit a low benchmark under county criteria put in place last fall. L.A. County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer. Our vaccination coverage rate is really uh, coming close to the threshold we established, which was 80 percent. We're just about there for children 12 and older. Really, you know, what drives a lot of it is, is getting transmission down to a very low level. County health officials are facing pressure to ease the indoor mask mandate from Supervisor Katherine Barger. L.A. County's new COVID cases and hospitalizations are falling as the Omicron surge appears to be declining, though over the last week the county has averaged more than 19,000 new cases per day. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. State lawmakers' most recent attempt to create a single-payer health system that would have provided coverage to all Californians is now dead. With more, here's KQED health correspondent April Domboski. Knowing it was doomed, Assemblymember Ash Kalra decided not to put his bill up for a vote. This angered the California Nurses Association, the union that has championed single-payer for years. They wanted to see who was willing to go on the record with a vote for it and who wasn't. Opponents of the bill said letting it die averted the chaos that would have been caused by dismantling the current health system and replacing it with a new, untested one. While the legislative effort is over this year, there is a state commission convened by the governor that is still exploring options for single payer. They'll issue a report in the spring. For the California Report, I'm April Domboski. Later today, a new director will be sworn in to head the state's Employment Development Department, or EDD. That's the agency that's faced a barrage of criticism for paying out billions in fraudulent unemployment claims, while legitimate applicants struggle to get the help they were due. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has the story. Incoming director Nancy Farias came to EDD in 2020 and has been a frontline defender of the agency as the department grappled with unprecedented unemployment claims during the pandemic. In January of 2020, California's unemployment was the lowest it had been since the late 80s at under 4%. By April, it had skyrocketed to over 15%. The EDD had faced criticism for its outdated technology and lack of preparedness as far back as the Great Recession, but had still not made promised improvements when the pandemic hit more than a decade later. 
EDD has also confirmed it paid out at least $20 billion in fake claims in the midst of the surge in applications. While unemployment rates have dropped considerably, there are still crucial changes needed to ensure the agency will be ready for the next crisis. Farius will be the third person to step into the director role since the beginning of the pandemic. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. A bill that would create a new commission to set pay and working conditions in California's fast food industry won approval in the state assembly yesterday. KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarotti has more. The idea of regulating minimum wages and workplace rules for fast food workers was rejected in the state assembly last year. Some Democrats like Hayward Assemblyman Bill Quirk are still opposed to an unelected commission setting standards. I just don't think having a separate set of regulations for the fast food industry is the way to do it. But as fast food workers struggle to unionize, East Bay Democratic Assemblywoman Mia Bonta says it's time for the state to step in and help vulnerable workers. Fast food workers were always essential, and the pandemic has brought that more into stark relief as they've continued to serve our communities through a global pandemic. The bill now heads to the state Senate. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. We're going to now take a closer look at traffic safety in our state. New traffic fatality numbers are out for California cities, and they show that last year our streets got more dangerous. Even though cities like Los Angeles, San Francisco, and San Diego have launched ambitious programs to reduce traffic deaths. One traffic casualty was 46-year-old Brandon Finley, who died last January when he was struck and killed by a hit-and-run driver in downtown Los Angeles while cycling. His daughter, Coy Finley, remembers the day. Like, that's the craziest thing anybody could tell you is that your dad literally was hit by somebody. And that, not only that, though, but, like, he's gone. He literally didn't make it. Like, somebody literally killed your dad. (laughs) Brandon Finley was one of nearly 300 people killed in traffic-related incidents on the streets of Los Angeles in 2021, a 20% increase over the previous year. Pedestrians accounted for 132 of the deaths. Every time there's a traffic fatality in Los Angeles, Salita Reynolds, general manager of LA's Department of Transportation, gets an email notification. It's a tragedy. Every single one of those numbers is a tragedy because if we cannot get people from A to B and guarantee that they are safe and that when somebody leaves in the morning, they'll come home safely at night, and we haven't fulfilled sort of a basic responsibility. It's Reynolds' responsibility to reduce traffic deaths and injuries in L.A. And her most important tool, like other California cities, is something called Vision Zero. Inspired by traffic safety initiatives in Europe and adopted by the city of L.A. in 2015, Vision Zero's goal is eliminating all traffic fatalities in Los Angeles by the year 2025. To do that, L.A. is focusing on improving safety on the 6% of L.A. streets that account for 70% of pedestrian deaths and injuries, and speed is usually a factor. If a car hits a person walking or biking and they're going 20 miles an hour, 
nine out of 10 folks will walk away from that crash. But if the driver is going over 40 miles an hour, then only one out of 10 people will survive that crash if they're walking or biking. Through Vision Zero, the city is trying to make its most dangerous streets safer by removing lanes of traffic, widening bike lanes, and installing more and better crosswalks that alert drivers to pedestrians with big signs and flashing beacons. One show place for Vision Zero changes is a stretch of LA's Adams Boulevard west of downtown. Like so many other dangerous streets, it runs through historically black and Latino neighborhoods. Resident Yolanda Davis Overstreet is a local traffic safety advocate. Motorists have used this roadway, this corridor, almost as a speedway. And that's not the way we should be living. That's not safe mobility, and that is a justice issue. Overstreet met me on Adams Boulevard to show off the changes Vision Zero has brought to the street, from the removal of lanes of traffic to high visibility crosswalks. She says the changes have made a thoroughfare long synonymous with danger much safer. Do you see the difference already? I mean, do you definitely? Do you, you can hear the difference. You can hear the difference. It's what? And just in terms of the cars aren't speeding. There's not as many cars. Well, we are. I mean, it's this time of the day. But even if we were rush hour in the morning, we wouldn't have four lanes of cars, you know, two each direction flying by us. It is a, it's a behavioral change where we have to slow it down. But as LA traffic deaths and injuries have increased in recent years, critics say the city isn't moving nearly fast enough to bring Vision Zero safety improvements and results to more streets. But Salita Reynolds of LA's Department of Transportation says there are factors beyond traffic planners' control, like drivers' continuing love affair with big, heavy vehicles that make it harder for people to survive collisions, and increasingly sophisticated car infotainment systems that keep motorists' attention focused on screens instead of the road. About 80% of people driving are using technology, actively using technology while they're driving. And we also know that the majority of crashes happen when people driving take their eyes off the road for more than two seconds. But LA knew about these challenges when it launched Vision Zero seven years ago, with its goal of eliminating traffic deaths within 10 years, a goal that Reynolds acknowledges the city likely won't reach. So I ask her if she's sorry that the goal even exists. No, we've set a milestone, we've set a year, and you know we, we fail to get there, then it, I hope, will invite a lot of accountability and dialogue and discussion. But talking about how to get to the Vision Zero goal, if it's ever reached at all, offers no comfort to Coy Finley, who's still grieving her father's hit-and-run death and worries about the other people who will inevitably be killed on L.A. streets in the future. The streets seem way more dangerous, and I feel like something needs to be done. It all has to make sense in the end, like something has to come from all of this, all of this heartache, all of this struggle, like something has to make sense, you know? In response to mounting traffic deaths nationally, the U.S. Department of Transportation has announced a plan to make streets safer. It includes $5 billion in grants to implement lower speed limits and improve road design.
And that is the California Report for Tuesday, February 1st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. As always, thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Personal Capital helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together on the web at schmidtfutures.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.